So like I said, make sure you've got a bulletin today because your notes are in it. Um, they look a little bit different than the last few times I've been speaking because it seems like too many blanks gets a little distracting and confusing. So there's just places for you to take your own notes um, and do with it what you will. Keith, you can bring me down a little bit. It's good. We're talking about grace today. And there's even grace for Keith and I who are dealing with this uh, sound system that doesn't always work that great. So I appreciate everything he's doing back there to make me sound just okay here. It's getting better? Good. Good. Okay. It's about to get much better, I promise. Okay. All right, one more time. We're going to come before God. God, I thank you for your grace. I pray that as we we dive into this today, that we will come out of it with a, with a better understanding, a better, uh, a more fulfilling relationship with you, God, because of your grace. And I pray that if, if there's someone here who has never really quite understood grace, God, that, that today would be that day, just because it's so important. In your name, amen. So I gave you a little heads up, but I'm still going to start you off with a question. What's the most, what would you say is the most important word in the Bible? And I'm actually looking for an answer. You can give me an answer. If you had to pick one, I know there's a lot of important words in the Bible, and we're not talking about the name of Jesus. That's the most important. But grace, right, I gave you a heads up on that, so good. Grace. Grace sets Christianity apart from all other religions. There's no other religion that involves grace. Ever since the oldest murals we've ever seen on dead man's caves and things there's been little uh, this is how many good things they did this is how many bad things they did and this is how they expected to get to heaven there's that's built into people that that there's this scale all the time and so grace is a foreign thing to us so if grace is the most important word i'm sure someone here can define it for me who's got that sunday school definition ready for grace God's unmerited favor. I, I learned that in Sunday school a long, long time ago. Okay, so who can tell me how you apply that to your life every day? God's unmerited favor. So, so it's the most important word in the Bible. Okay. So grace, grace is... The most important word for us. Without grace, we don't see heaven. God, this is the way God made. But we also leave it as sort of this nebulous word that's really difficult to really grasp. So you're saved, you're saved by grace, right? We're going to go through some verses here real quick, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll go over why it's the most important. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, that it is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So you're saved by grace. That makes it pretty important. Without that, there's no saving. Unless God made another way. But this is the way he made. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. This is Paul looking back at his life saying, it wasn't me 
that got to do all those great things. It was grace through me. So we grow by grace. We are who we are by grace. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. So we grow in grace. Again, from Peter, 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So we don't have hope without grace. Our hope is in grace. How many of you need, here need grace today? How many of you here you need hope today? I could use some hope sometimes. This week I needed some times when I had to have some hope. 2 Corinthians 12.9 But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is not the American way. That is not the American way to boast in your weakness. But to boast in grace, you're allowed to do that. The power that you have to overcome anything is through grace. So there's power in that. That sin that you're addicted to, whatever one it is, you're not going to be able to do anything about by yourself. Only through grace, only through the power of grace can you do anything about it. When we try our hardest, it's not enough. Our hardest is not enough. So we're saved by grace. We are who we are because of grace. We grow and mature through grace. Our hope is in grace. And the only power we have, the only power you can boast about, the only thing you can say I have is grace. There's nothing else you've done that you should be able to boast about. We're going to find through this study that it affects how we view God, it affects how we view ourselves, and it affects how we view others. So grace is part of all your relationships. You either have grace for somebody, you either receive grace from God, or you don't. But grace is a part of all your relationships. I'm openly admitting that this is something I've struggled with my whole life. I've been a Christian as long as I have memory, as long as I have thought. I've been in this church my whole life. I went to a Christian school. I went to a Christian college. I've been a Christian my whole life. And I have always strived to do what God wants me to do and for the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons. Because Grace for me is hard to understand. And I feel like I've been working on this for a year, just trying to grasp a little bit of grace because if you don't understand grace, you just beat yourself up, you beat everyone up around you, and you're miserable. And I want to be able to receive grace the way God wants you to receive grace. So these last three weeks while Keith's been preaching... I think are the first time that I felt like I had enough to be able to speak about this. And that, that means like 15 hours of source material because I still don't do great with grace. Works is much easier for me to grasp. I do this and this and this and this happens and then I do this and this and this and the negative happens. That's much easier for me to understand than grace. 
And so many of us get saved by grace, and it's that nice thought, right? You're saved by grace. It's attractive. And you get just a mustard seed of understanding about grace. It saved me. And then you go on through the rest of your life, and you don't grow in grace. You don't grow in your understanding of grace. Somehow we think it's not important. Or it's important, but we can't understand it. And, and there are parts of grace that I do not understand. I'm not saying I got it all. There's going to be parts that you don't understand. But it's important. If our power and our growth and who we are is through grace, it's important that we try to understand it. And that means it's important for us to know who God is. It's important if you're going to follow God, you should know who He is, what is a part of Him. Something happened to me on Friday that I, had to, I ended up having to rewrite a lot of this because a good friend of mine who I work with, who I respect, who's been really good to me, he put in a lot of good words for me this last time I got a, a promotion. We found out right before we left work on Friday that he's in jail. And he's in jail because he held his girlfriend down and punched her in the face over and over and over and over and over again. And she's in bad, a bad place. This is a man, if you know him, you would say that would never, ever happen. And so, is my grace, <laughs> do I show him grace for something he did awful, right? I'm not, no one would condone that, right? What he did is awful. Does God have enough grace for him? He does. But in the moment, that feels awful. That, that thing that he did is awful. And do I have any right not to show him grace? I had to, I, so I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about this grace. So this is going to be a little bit of a journey for me. You're going to see it as I speak because I need to work on grace. I need to show it better to my family. I need to show it better to you. And I need to be able to receive it so that I'm not just looking at all the terrible things I do all, time, all the time because that's my tendency. may not be yours, but that's mine. I tend to think that way. I've done this and this and this and this bad, so God is in a bad mood about me today. Like my, we, we compare it to our wives. We compare it to our husbands. We compare it to our parents. They, they're in a mood about us depending on our behavior recently. God is not like that. God doesn't have these mood swings. So, but we relate him, right? We relate him to something we can understand. Don't do that with grace because you don't understand grace and no one in here has shown you grace like he has shown you. So don't relate it to me and don't relate it to any other person you know. Grace is beyond your understanding. You have to know that it's a part of him. So, all right, let's get into it here. It's really easy for me to say, I've been saved by grace. It's an unmerited gift and I didn't deserve it, but it's much harder to apply to my life. So, we think of God a lot of times like this. He's in heaven looking down at you, seeing you do that same thing for the 5,000th time, and he's sort of tapping his toe. And he's going like this again. Like, oh, I just, I can't believe he did that again. Did God know you were going to do that? You think he's wasting time up there going, oh man, I can't believe he did that again. He is not. He knew you were going to do that before you were a glimmer. So, but we view him that way. We start to view him like that, like he's just a teacher or he's just our parent. 
that He's going to approach us that way. It's what we're used to. And if any of us have one thing in common, we all understand disappointment. Everyone here understands what it feels like to be disappointed in someone else and to have someone be disappointed in you. So we can relate to that, and we just think that God is like that all day, every day. You sin every day, right? Everyone here sins every day, pretty much. If you're, if you're having a good day, don't stop now. You know, I'm not telling you that sin's okay. But what I'm saying is, he's just, he would spend all of his time in disappointment with you. He made a way. His holiness cannot accept your sin. Can't be in the same room with your sin. His holiness is making him separate from you. But he made another way. We're going to learn about that. When we view God in this way, um, it creates several things in us. And they're not pretty. But we're going to go through them. One is that we want to please him because the alternative is he's going to punish us. Um, I've, this is probably where I fall in. I have always thought, and I can tie it together usually. I sinned on this day, and then like three days later, I got a flat tire. God's punishing me for that sin, right? Or whatever it is for you. You sin, and then the next day something goes really wrong. We can tie it together. This thing can make sense in our heads. Like, you know what? That's because I did that thing the other day. Now, don't get me wrong. There are repercussions for everything that you do, Right? We're in a fallen world. When you sin, you could have some pretty serious repercussions. But it isn't just this back and forth with you and God, like, I'm being really good today, don't punish me. You can be really good and have something bad happen. So your expectations get all mixed up. You don't know how to approach God that way. The second thing that happens is we have to then come up with our own set of rules i got to have my own set of rules that are good for me if I'm going to be comfortable with this thing. And we live the rest of our lives sort of on the works mentality, even though we were saved by grace. When it's obvious, we label it legalism, right? A lot of people know what legalism is. And that's only when it's really obvious. That's when we label it legalism. So I'm going to go through some of those things that maybe some of you have heard of, and if it applies, it applies. Um, so for some of you growing up, the statement might have been, you don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with girls that do. That was, uh, that was a clear rule. Or maybe you weren't allowed to play cards. Or maybe you weren't allowed to play pool. Some of you can't dance at all because you're a Christian and Christians don't dance. I wish that were my excuse for why I can't dance. It's, it's not. I just can't dance. But... Um, so, or maybe for some of you, it's that no Christian should ever be seen walking into a movie theater. Has anybody ever heard that before? You shouldn't even be seen walking into a movie theater or into a bar. Even if you were going in there to witness, you better not be seen going in there to do it. Because you got a bad example after that. So those are some of the stereotypical Christian rules. And sometimes we're really comfortable with those. They kind of make us happy. I got this set of rules. I can live by that set of rules. I don't really have a problem with those anyway. I'm not drinking. I don't like movies that much. I'm happy with this set of rules. And I get to judge all of you by those. And that makes me feel much better about myself. You know? So we try to define righteousness and put it in a box. 
and just say, this is what's the most important and I will take whatever verse I need to take to make it so that this is what's most important. For some people, um, it's, it's drinking. For some people, it's, it's, it's whatever it is. The problem is when you have your box of righteousness, you can't keep it, you can't keep it together. You can't hold that thing together. David danced a lot. For all you who think you can't dance, David danced a lot, and by grace, he was a man after God's own heart. So if you want to live up to his standards, you better know how to dance. So that one doesn't hold together. I can't find any verse. I looked today. I can't find any verses that say you can't go into a movie theater. I looked very hard. I, I couldn't find that one at all. Um, and in fact, if you follow Jesus' life, where was he usually? He was with the sinners. And they didn't like, the other people didn't like that, but that's where he was at. And so we set ourselves up for a little bit of failure here with this, with this box of righteousness. So I'm going to stop here and say one thing, though. If you have set guidelines up for yourself in your life that help you to stay away from temptation, that is how you should use, this, that's how you should look at sin. I struggle with different sins than you guys do. You have certain things that are going to trip you up. So if you've set up guidelines in your life so you don't do those things, that's good. That's how you should do it. But if you're just setting it as a measuring stick for yourself and everyone around you, you're going to be miserable and you're going to be a discouragement to everyone around you. So use it as a way to protect your heart. Use it as a way to keep yourself from sinning, but don't, don't use it as the only measuring stick because your measuring stick isn't the one that counts. It's not the one that matters anyway, which is actually a good thing. Another form of legalism, so maybe you guys didn't fall into the first set, but another form of legalism is much more sneaky. It's not as obvious. It's not us saying, oh, that's, he's a legalistic Christian. It's, it has to do with how you think and how you think about other people. We judge people by how they dress, by how much money they have, by how many tattoos they have, if they've done drugs, if they beat their wife, how they parent their kids, how they spend their time, what their job is, how their kids act. We use it as a way to feel better about ourselves. I can say, at least I'm not doing that. I didn't make those decisions. I didn't get into that predicament, so I get to feel a little bit better about myself. I'm here to tell you that, that that little bit you felt better about yourself, that was the reward. You're not building up heavenly rewards doing that by being just a little bit better than the next guy. The heavenly rewards are something different. They come from something different. And it, it's really about your attitude. What it comes down to the, is this, and I, I'm harping on this, not because I feel like you guys all need to hear it, but because I need to hear it. And because we're going to open Luke 15, and Jesus is speaking to a group of people who had set up the rules. And he's telling them, this is not how God the Father is. This is not how God the Father looks at you. Get out of your own way. He's giving them a chance. He's not doing it just to tick them off. He's doing it to say, you guys have a chance to change now. Here it is. Change. They couldn't do it. Maybe some of them did. But I want us to be able to pick these out in our own lives and say, He's saying this to me. I have some of this legalism. I have some of this righteousness blocks 
that I try to make everything fit into. What it comes down to is this. If you all had to come, and I had to come to church every Sunday, and the clothing you had to put on was your sin, mine's just as ugly as yours. And mine's just as ugly as that mother out there who doesn't have a husband that we often pick on, or the person who drinks too much, or the person who, whatever it is for you, your sin's as ugly as their sin. And so we just need to, you need to realize that grace is not just for you because you've worked a little harder than they have. Cannot be earned. Here we go. Romans 3.10, 10-20. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have, tur- they have, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their, mouth, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. There's no one here that this isn't going to apply to today. That's all I need you to get to start with. That there's no one that needs more, more grace than you need. God's laws are important. They are how we know what is right and what's wrong. A lot of them are built into us. And there are blessings associated with obedience. You should want to obey his laws. They are good. They will protect you as well. You will be happier if you're obeying his laws. But they're just not what's going to get you to heaven. If you're hearing my voice today, it's already too late. It's already too late for you to live by works and get to heaven. That's what it comes down to. It's too late. But the good news Ready for some good news? I hope I picked on you a little bit. But now, it's time for good news. You can still be saved because God sent His Son and crushed Him for the human race. He loved you enough to crush His own Son even though He knew you were going to be who you are and do the things that you do. That's amazing. He extends His grace to you because He loves you so much and because He is inherently good and merciful and full of grace. And when you grasp that, you're not going to care about your list of rules anymore. Because obedience out of love is way different than obedience out of the set of rules. When I obey my father or my mother and they're disappointed in me, it hurts me because I love them. So when he's disappointed, it should hurt me because I love him, not because I don't want him to have me have a flat tire or because I might make a little less money in my life. It's not about the punishment. It's about loving him enough to do what he says and putting that first. So I've identified some of these rules of righteousness. And even if it makes you uncomfortable, I hope one of them stuck with you because the rest of this series is about eradicating those for yourself and for me. I have some of, the reason I could write this is because I have some of those. Not because all of you have all of those. Because I have those. 
and I want them eradicated. I'm not doing any good for Christ when I have those rules in my life. I'm not shining this light. So what is grace then? Grace is an attribute of God. When you have an attribute, it's part of you. Grace is, grace is a part of God, which means all the way in eternity in both directions. It wasn't one day he decided, I'm going to add grace to my being. It's always been. He's always been. It's always been a part of him. So it's an attribute of his. It's like his goodness. It's like his love. It's like his holiness. It, is, it makes him up. It's like the sun can't turn off its own light. He can't turn off his grace. Tozer puts it this way. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. It is a self-existent principle inherent in the divine nature and appears to us as a self-caused propensity to pity the wretched, spare the guilty, welcome the outcast, and bring into favor those who were before separated from it. Its use to us sinful men is to save us and make us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness to Christ Jesus. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. You have grace and you're gonna sh you need to show that to everybody. You don't, you don't have to show how great of a Christian you are because you don't go to a movie and you don't do this and you don't do this. You show it because you have grace and no one else, no other answer has that. They can look, they can look at any other religion and they don't get it. So your job is to show everybody, I have grace and it's part of who God is. This next statement, this is a little bit further on in Tozer's book, but this is my new favorite thing from any book ever, I think. Okay, it says, although we feel like our iniquity, iniquities rise over us like a mountain. Anybody ever feel like your sin is always over you? Like a mountain. And my mountain feels like it's the biggest mountain. My mountain feels like if you guys all had mountains, mine's twice as big as your mountain. That's how big mine feels. But this is what he says. The mountain, nevertheless, has definable boundaries. It's only so wide. It's only so tall. It's only so heavy. It has edges. It's definable. But who shall define the limitless grace of God? You, don't get to, you can't define His. His is boundless. His has no limit. He's always been. He always will be. His grace has no limit. So you, your mountain can't be bigger than His grace. That's important. That's important. If my mountain was bigger than His grace, I'd be in big trouble. But His grace is boundless. His grace has no end. So go ahead and turn to Luke 15. We're going to spend the rest of today and the next two weeks that I'm speaking, and we're going to go deep into this parable. And Jesus is giving it to a group, like I said, who had made up their own rules. Some of them were based in Old Testament, and some of them weren't. I mean, these guys, you couldn't sit on a bench if someone unclean had sat on a bench without going through like several days of purification. So these guys were the church leaders, but they were always like taking a step back from the congregation. Because if I touch one of them, I got to spend like seven days cleaning myself up. They had, a lot of, they had a lot of rules. They had what measured down to the, you can't pick up anything heavier than this type of bird on this day. And 
and all that. This, they had 700 and some odd rules for daily life. So they had a lot of rules, a lot of legalisms. So first of all, as you look at this, um, Luke 15 is broken up into three parts. But just, just don't be fooled. Don't, just know that this is one parable. God is telling three stories to tell you one parable, to have one meaning. Um, and this is the only parable that he does this. He doesn't do this in any other story. He doesn't give it to you three times, just in case you missed it the first time, and the second time, and the third time. He gives it to you three times. You know how in the Old Testament and in Revelation, the angels are around God saying, holy, holy, holy. They don't say it just three times just because it feels good to say it three times. It's because it's bigger than anything else. It's holy, holy, holy. They, the, in these languages, they don't have superlatives like we have good, better, best. When they want you to get something, they say it, and then they say it, and they say it again. And Jesus is talking to a group of people who understand that. And they, and they need to get that he's saying it to them three times. And God wants you to get it like that, too. Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So now we got trouble, right? Now we're in trouble. Right from the start, we're in a little bit of trouble. He's eating with sinners. Now in this culture, in our culture, we eat about everything. You come to my house, we're going to eat. You go to Darla's house, we're going to eat. We're going to meet and we're going to eat. And so we don't think anything about eating together. You can eat with people you don't like, right? Who cares? In this culture, you did not eat with anybody you didn't like because eating with them showed acceptance. And then it showed protection like they were your family. So when these leaders got together, they didn't eat together before they had a treaty because that was a sign of, if I'm feeding him, I accept him. And I'm going to protect him. So this, it was different in their culture. You did not eat with these people because these, these guys had been listening to Jesus say, I'm the Son of God. I am one with the Father. And they're saying he's blaspheming himself and God. If he's God, he should not be hanging out with those people. And so the word muttering here is only used twice in the New Testament. It has a little bit of an added thing about it. It's not just muttering like we think of muttering like, oh man, this guy stinks, you know. He started this up again. You know, we're, we're going to give him some trouble. This is the muttering where they're planting seeds in the crowd for killing him. For killing him. They do not like what he's doing, and they're starting to actually plant seeds in these people about, you know, pretty soon we're going we're gonna to try to have this guy killed. <clears throat> so it was considered unthinkable to do this. So these three stories, and this is how far we're going to get today. We're gonna, we'll go through them quickly, and then we're going to focus in on the third one in two weeks. The three stories have similarities. They all have this main character who is, who is God in the, in, the, in the parable. First, it's the shepherd. One sheep gets lost. He goes out and finds the sheep, and they celebrate. The next, and don't miss this one because in that culture this is a big deal too, God is personified as the woman they did not like that either. Don't, don't miss that. This was ticking them off. They were hearing the story and getting ticked off. But he's, he's portrayed as this woman who has only ten coins to her. And one of them's lost. And she searches. 
And she finds that one coin, and she tells all her friends. She rejoices that she celebrates, I found that one coin. The third one, he's a father who has two sons that are lost. One comes back after he runs to him, and there's a celebration. So these three things have, they have these common themes. Um, something is always lost. Something is found, and there's a celebration. And there's all the parts in between that are the culture part that they're not going to get. They're not going to understand this. You're going to find out that what that son, what the prodigal son did by asking for his inheritance in those towns would have been, if we see him again, he's not our son and we kill him. He's disowned. This isn't just like some lazy kid asking for money. This is punishable by death in a lot of these cultures where they say, you know, he asked for something he should never ask for. He made his father look like a, an idiot, and they had to sell stuff just to give him what he needed. So that's where the culture part comes in. The context is so important to this. So Jesus is going to break up their, their boundaries and for their culture. So I hope everybody can come back. I hope you can come back and hear the next one because the next one is where we get really important. But if you can't, so I'm going to leave you with this. I'll finish with this. God the Father loves you. He is good. His grace is more than enough for you. He isn't like anybody else that you know. There's no one to compare him to. He doesn't wake up in the morning in a bad mood and decide to punish you. He is glad to see you when you're in his presence. He knows your sin. He knows all the sins you've ever had. He knows all the sins you're going to commit. And he still loves you. And he still sent his son to die for you. If you have never had a moment in your life where you realize you need grace, I pray that God's working on your heart. And that you'll make a decision to follow him. If you have experienced his grace, I, play, I pray that this series, when we, when we dive deep into this, that, that you'll have a, a, a better understanding of grace and how it actually plays in your life. Because it is important. It's the most important, not just because it saves you. Because it changes you too. It can, at least, if you let it. The Christian life is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is a relationship with a God that loves you and wants what wants what's best for you, and he comes looking for you. You're going to have a hard time understanding this if you don't already believe that God is good. If you don't believe that God is good, if you believe that God is just up there to punish you, you're going to have a hard time understanding this grace. You have to believe that God is good. He looks at you with love. He loves you. He protects you. He accepts you. You're part of his family. You have an inheritance because you're a Christian. When you grasp that, you aren't going to care about your list because you're just going to find out, you're going to want to find out what he has to say and you're going to want to do it so you don't disappoint him. You're saved either way. Don't go to heaven with, with no idea that it was there. There is a heaven, I promise you. It is real. It's a real place. It's going to be here. And there are rewards. Don't live like there aren't any. Don't live that, thank you God for your grace, now I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. Don't, don't try to see if your mountain can get bigger than anybody else's because God's grace is, is limitless. Have a relationship 
with the Almighty. Have a relationship through Jesus because that's what's going to change your life. And you're not going to be miserable. You're going to be a happy person because you're going to be able to overcome things that you've never been able to overcome before. Because it's not your strength. It's God's strength. And without it, you can't do anything. Let's close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these people that are here today. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your grace for me who is inexperienced and not the best speaker, God. I thank you that it doesn't matter whose words they are, as long as they're yours, they have power. God, I, I pray that you'll be working in my life and I pray that you'll work in these people's lives so that they come to a better understanding of grace and a more fulfilling relationship with you so that they can shine better, so that everyone around them knows that they have something that, they, that, that should be desired. It's so hard, God. We, we want to live by works. That's how this world is set, seems like it's set up. God, help us overcome that. Help us to view you for who you are and thank you for who you are, for being a loving God, for being a, a, a God so full of grace. I pray that you'll bless these people as they go. In your name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you, everybody.